Good morning, Thrive. I am Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane, and we want to welcome you to worship this morning at Lover's Lane. Our mission statement is loving all people into relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that you experience that both in word and action today. Today is uh, Senior Sunday for our church. I hope that you've enjoyed getting to witness uh, the talents and the gifts of our student ministry. Uh, I agree with the, I'm seeing chat in here from uh, Danella and from Martina and from Cindy, from Lourdes. Yeah, what a talent talented group of uh, praise team that our student ministry has. So um, we are finding creative ways to celebrate our students, and uh, we are remembering them and lifting them up in this time when we know that so much of the rite and ritual of graduation uh, ha- has been uh, diverted or, or, or uh, done differently this year. So let us know that you're with us this morning. If you want to type hey in chat, let me know what you're thinking. It's good to see y'all. Hey, hey, Jimison, it's good to see you. Um, and know that our, we have pastors online as well that are ready to um, help you with prayers or any other assistance that we can provide as a church. Uh, we want to be there for you during this time as well. Today we continue in a sermon series uh, called Become the Gospel and uh, this is a series we've been engaged in during this Easter season, this, this season following Easter Sunday, where we've been asking ourselves the question, how do we allow our faith to be resurrected like Jesus? How can we allow our faith to move beyond just thinking about who Jesus is and beginning to live like Jesus? And today, we're going to talk about mercy the subject of mercy. And to help us in our conversation, we're going to be looking at a story that comes to us in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. So if you have a Bible with you, or if you have your Bible app, go ahead and open that up now, as long as it doesn't take you off of the live stream. And um, if you don't or or can't open that up, then we will have it on the screen for you. Uh, And we're going to go ahead and dig right in, because there is so much richness in this story. Um, It took me all week Uh, to finish wrestling with what this text had for me this week and the ways that I met God in a new way this week. So I want to share that with you today. Let's begin reading in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, he got up from the table, took off his outer robe, tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water out into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. So we're going to stop there for now. This is the uh, famous story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. There's more to this story that we're going to get to in a moment, but first I want to say a word about this foot-washing ceremony to begin with, because this is not something we are familiar with in everyday life uh, today, are we? If you go over to a friend's house today, well, we don't get to do that right now, but let's say, let's live in a world where we get to do that, uh, and, and your friend said, oh, by the way, as you come in, why don't you just sit down real quick and wash your feet in that basin right there? That would be a little strange. You might be thinking, this is the last time I come to a dinner party at this friend's house. Um, It'd be weirder still if they said, hey, can I wash your feet for you? That doesn't really make sense to us. But in Jesus's day, this would have been an actually fairly commonplace ritual, though not in the way that Jesus performs it. 
See, when you entered into someone's house, say you were going to a friend's house for dinner, there would be a basin of water and a towel there. And, and most people, if you're not very wealthy, uh, they would say, please, wash your feet as you're coming in. People wore open-toed sandals back then. It was dirty and sandy, and your feet got dirty during the course of the day. And then you lay down for dinner, right? And, and you didn't sit around a table like we do today. You, the tables were much lower to the ground, and you would almost recline like a side plank or something uh, and, and lay down for dinner. And so if you had really disgusting feet, you know, that wasn't going to make for a pleasant dining experience. So washing your feet would have been understood. And, and in fact, if you went to a wealthy person's home, they would, in, they would have a servant whose job it would be to wash the feet of those coming into the house. But there's something different about what Jesus is doing. See, he's the host of the meal. He's the host of this gathering, but he's also the servant as well. There's this tension that we see John developing in who Jesus is, and and there's a theology that John's trying to show us as well behind this. Um, Jesus is both the host and the servant. Now, if we take that the next theological step, it means that Jesus is both Lord of all and also washer of feet. There's tension in these two identities as to who Jesus is. It highlights the way that Jesus is both above, so above us, and yet below us too. I imagine if you're like me, you prefer to keep Jesus in one place or the other from time to time. There are times where it's much more comfortable for Jesus just to be a God to be worshipped for me. Keep him up on the pedestal. Don't let him get down here with someone like me. I'm not worthy to have Jesus down here with me. Or maybe there's times that I honestly prefer to have Jesus below me. I like to have Jesus serving my needs. I like to have Jesus uh, meeting my desires and and living life around the way that I want it to be lived, and I'm the master of my own universe. I prefer Jesus either way up high or or down below. But we have to see Jesus as both. We have to remember that Jesus is more than just one. He's both above and below us. I'm I'm grateful to serve a God, to have a God who knows how to be worshipped, but who also knows how to serve. We have to see both sides of Jesus to more fully understand him. So the first question I hear John asking us is, as he shares this story with us, here's the question I was wrestling with this week. Can I both sit as, at Jesus' feet and allow him to wash ours? Can we both sit at Jesus' feet and allow him to wash ours? That's a hard question to ask. There are some days when I'm happy to sit at the feet of Jesus, and there's some days I'm happy for him to be washing, but frequently it's hard to do both. Let's keep reading, though, because if you do struggle with this, then you're not alone. Simon Peter does as well. It says this as we continue in verse 6. Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered, you do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So let's stop there for a moment. 
Now, Peter's trying to be a good disciple. Peter tries so hard. In every gospel, Peter tries so hard. He likes to be teacher's pet. And he's, he's refusing this foot washing to begin with, not because he's disgusted by it, not because he has a weird thing about his feet, but because he's trying to express reverence for Jesus. Jesus is his teacher and his Lord, his rabbi, right? In these days, if you were to allow someone who was supposed to be above you, social hierarchies were so strict, if you were going to ask your rabbi to wash your feet, that would have been unbelievable, incomprehensible. It would have been offensive to most people. And so he's saying, Jesus, I can't allow you to wash my feet. That is beneath you. That, that is not the role you're supposed to be living in. You're my teacher and my Lord. But Jesus corrects him. And he says, Peter, until you allow me to wash you, you're not going to have a share with me. And we're going to say more about what he means by that share. But upon hearing this, Peter again tries to do the right thing. And so he says, oh, okay, maybe I do want to be washed. Well, okay, wash all of me. Wash my head. Wash my hands. And, and Peter's making a second mistake here. See, he, he's no longer keeping Jesus on the pedestal. He's allowing Jesus to come down and be with him. But he's mistaking this washing ceremony for maybe a new baptism? We're not entirely sure, but, but Jesus distinguishes what Peter's experienced before with what Peter's going to experience now. See, Peter thinks maybe this is a new baptism. Maybe this is a way for me to be cleansed again. Maybe this is a way for Jesus to, to love me again. And Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 you've been baptized. You're seen as clean in the eyes of God. You are, you've been made righteous. You've been made right. You don't need to be bathed again. Jesus uses this language of bathing and washing. He says, you don't need to be bathed again. That's, that's baptism. You're, you're good. That's why we don't rebaptize today. God's grace was at work through, through the experience of baptism. We don't need to rebaptize you, Peter, but maybe you do need a foot washing. Maybe you need a washing and just your feet. What does Jesus mean by that? If bathing is baptism, then, then what is this washing? I sat and I, I pondered that this week. And this week, I don't know about you, but this week was a hard week for me. Um, I spent more of it inside than I probably should have. I didn't get as much sunshine as I should have. I didn't get as much done as I should have. I was a little bit more impatient with my kids than I should have been. I wasn't as attentive to Reagan as I should have been. And I sat and I sat and I wondered, what is this washing? And it hit me. It's not the monumental moments like we think of as baptism. It's not some moment when everything is made right in your world. I think the washing that Jesus is talking about that he's extending to Peter is, is the little mercies, the everyday mercies that Jesus and God grant us. It's, it's those days and weeks when we've been less than faithful or we feel like we don't measure up or maybe you feel just plain worthless. And then that water washes over your feet, a gentle reminder that you've been bathed, that you're clean, that you're good, that God sees you as righteous and worthy. It's the little mercies, the little whispers that come washing over you that remind you that you are deeply and dearly loved. So it's not baptism, but maybe it's Maybe it's just as important for our daily living. Maybe it's these little mercies that we need every day. Every day with our little failures or the little ways in which we beat ourselves up. 
maybe you struggle with this like I do. It's hard for me to receive these little mercies. It's hard for me to stop the train of self-loathing, right? But John 13 reminds us of this. Before we can extend the mercy of Jesus, we have to experience the mercy of Jesus. Peter's going to be sent out to build the church. Jesus says elsewhere that upon this rock, upon Peter, he'll build the church. Peter's going to do tremendous things. He's going to be extending mercy to all kinds of people in the known world. And yet, before any of that can happen, Peter has to know what it feels like to have water poured over his feet. He has to know what a little mercy, a simple mercy, a daily mercy can can feel like. And so what is... What does the mercy of Jesus look like for us? That's, when I, that's really where I began to wrestle this week. Okay, so, so how is Jesus' mercy different? What is it about Jesus' mercy that's so necessary in our lives? I saw three things kind of bubble up in the story this week. First one's this. Jesus' mercy is unorthodox. And if you're taking notes, write this down. This was really helpful for me this week to process through it in this way. Jesus' mercy is unorthodox. Everything about this story is not quite right. Right, from the fact that Jesus is the host of this meal, but he's also washing their feet like a servant, the fact that Jesus is changing his clothing to look like a, a foot-washing servant, even the fact, that, did you notice that it starts in the middle of the meal? In the middle of their dinner, Jesus says, hold on, hold on, before we keep eating, can, can I wash your feet real quick? That was totally inappropriate. You, you do the foot washing when you walk into the home, not in the middle of dinner. There's nothing about this that Jesus is doing the right way but maybe that is the right way. There's something unorthodox about Jesus' mercy. It doesn't come to the people that we expect in the ways that we expect at the time that we expect, but it's right, and it's good, and it's weird. Jesus' mercy is also intimate. It's unorthodox. It's also intimate. This is one of the reasons why Peter pushes Jesus away. Whoa, you can't wash my feet. I mean, that's putting him in a very close proximity, and he's going to be lifting up his robe, and Jesus is washing his feet, and Peter says, I don't know if I'm ready to be, allow you to get this close to me, Jesus. This feels weird. And Jesus says, you're never going to have a share with me until you experience foot washing. And that word for share could also be translated to mean something like close fellowship. It's the kind of, it's, it's like your friends who are really like family. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's the, it's the folks that you meet in life that you're so close to. It's, it's like you share something on a deep inner level. Jesus is saying, you're not going to have that kind of a share with me until you experience foot washing. There's an intimacy to Jesus' mercy. And when I see this in this story, what it, what it makes me consider is maybe... Maybe it's in these little mercies, these foot washings that we experience and that we get to share with others. Maybe it's in these little mercies where our hearts can come closest to God's. Maybe it's there that we get to have a share with Jesus, where we become closer to Jesus than we've ever known. Is mercy what can get us there? Lastly, Jesus' mercy is abundant. I'm going to say more about this, but um, there's someone else at the dinner. There's someone else at this foot washing besides Peter and Jesus. Did you notice who it is? We're going to keep reading in a moment, and you're going to see their name come up again, but Jesus' mercy is not just for the people that get it right. It's not just for the good people, the righteous people, the, the, the people who know what they're doing. It's for everyone, the screw-ups, the undeserving, the betrayers, 
Jesus' mercy is abundant. Let's keep reading. Beginning in verse 12, it says this. After he had washed their feet, he had put on his robe and had returned to the table. He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Not speaking of all of you, you know whom I've chosen. But it is to fulfill the scripture, the one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I tell you this now, before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Very truly I tell you, whoever receives one whom I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So throughout this passage, there's been another person present. There's been this undercurrent of knowing that Judas, the one who betrays Jesus, is here receiving the meal, receiving the foot washing. In fact, John mentions him three different times. At each point in the story we've read this morning, Judas is is reminded to us. John is trying to get our attention to say, you know Judas is there. You know Judas is there. Hey, do you see that Judas is here? Why is John so fixated on this? Why is that so important for us to see? This is a commissioning of sorts, this story. It's not the great commissioning, of course, but maybe a lesser commissioning where Jesus is commanding his disciples to go out and be foot washers, but not foot inspectors. What do I mean by that? I was really stuck on this part of the story this week. And yesterday morning, as I was praying over this text again, something hit me. And it was one of those kind of scriptural truths that you don't really want to hear because you know it's going to change the way that you live and you're not sure you want to do that. But I realized seeing Judas at this story, seeing Judas walk into the room, Jesus Jesus greeting him with a hug and a kiss as usual, reclining at dinner, breaking bread with him, sharing drink with him, washing his feet, pouring water over his feet as he looks him in the eye. Something struck me. We cannot control how others respond to our mercy. I don't like that. I don't like being out of control. I don't like the idea that someone can take my mercy that I'm working really hard to offer and can throw it out the window, can stomp all over it, can spit on it, or just flat out ignore it. You know, washing feet puts us in a submissive position. It puts us in a lower place. And that's hard for someone like me. Is that hard for you? I don't like the idea of being in a submissive lower position to someone who I think doesn't deserve it. Maybe they've wronged me in the past. Maybe I think they're in the wrong still. Maybe I think they're going to do wrong by me in the future. And I don't want to give them the upper hand. I certainly don't want to give them my mercy. But here's what really convicted me yesterday morning. If we only offer mercy to those whom we love, or I could offer those whom we know will love us back, we're actually only offering kindness. If we only offer mercy to those whom we love or whom we know will love us back, we're really only offering kindness. I like being kind. 
I'm a pretty kind person. Who doesn't love to be kind to the people that are going to be kind back to them? Who doesn't love being kind to their friends, to their family, who they hold dear? But mercy isn't kindness. Mercy's different. It's harder. It's more difficult. It's the moment that turning the other cheek stops being a pithy statement and starts becoming reality. Mercy is when Jesus welcomes Judas in, and instead of turning him away at the door, or spitting in his face, or confronting him and telling the disciples, get this guy, he's the betrayer, instead he welcomes him in with a hug and a kiss on the cheek. Mercy is love when judgment is the obvious choice. It's washing the feet of the one who might betray you. Mercy is love when judgment is the obvious choice. It's Jesus pouring water over Judas's feet and looking in his eyes and knowing what's to come, but knowing that mercy is still worth it because Judas is worth it, because God's love is worth it, because the kingdom of God is worth it, because resurrection is worth it. Mercy is worth it. And friends, we can give this kind of mercy. If this sounds hard, it is. But we can give this kind of mercy because we have received this kind of mercy. Every time we have failed, every time we have proven less than faithful, every time we have come up short, every time we have turned our back on our God, God grants us mercy again, pours the water over our feet again reminds us in small and big ways that we are loved, deeply and dearly loved, and that mercy reigns every day. Friends, we live in a world that has punishment enough. There's plenty of punishment in the world around us. I wonder what the world could look like if the followers of Jesus, if people like you and me could be a people who express mercy over everyone, even those who might betray us. This world needs more mercy in it. As we come to a close, I want to offer a final word to those who are graduating. I know you love getting all these video messages from people. I know there was a commencement speech from President Obama yesterday, so I'm hoping to one-up that. No, I'm kidding. Um, I wonder what it could be like to be a generation defined by mercy. I I know about my generation. I know about generations older than me. I look around the world today, it's a world full of judgment. It's polarized, it's finger pointing, it's lobbing grenades online, in person, it's violent, it's mean. What would it be like if a whole generation was loosed upon this world who were driven by mercy? And what if that could be you? What if you could teach the people older than you a new way to live? I wonder what our world could look like. I know that you're those kinds of people because I've watched you grow up since you've been at this church and you were in the second grade when I got here. I know that there's mercy deep inside your bones. So show the world the mercy we need to see. Let's be people of mercy together. Let's live in God's mercy together. Let's be washers of feet. Amen.